Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another edition of Running It with Nate Sexton. I'm your co-host, Jared Orr. He is, for a fact, the founding father of the Firebird forehand from anywhere on the course, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing tonight, man? <laughs> I'm all right, Jared. I think I'm I'm one of those founding fathers. I'll, I'll take that. I don't want to be the only founding father. There's a few people slinging him around. Yeah, no, that's true. I think about all the time being your caddy, though, and, and what it's got to be like. And you walk over and go, what do you think? And you can just kind of say, oh, it's probably a firebird. And you're you're all you're all in on that. So it's it's got to be one of the easier gigs. Yeah, if it can be done, it will be done with the firebird. That's that's my general strategy. Yeah. And that intro right there was specifically for my dad, who every time a report card came out, told me I was never going to impress anybody with a bunch of Fs. So take that, dad. <laughs> um Another great show uh, last week. We had uh, Nate Doss on. Uh, we chatted about everything. Tons of awesome feedback uh, from that show. It was really great chatting with Nate. What kind of feedback did you get, man? Oh, the same. I mean, I, I knew that was going to be a good one because he's obviously one of the best players we've ever seen, but he's also an eloquent guy and a funny guy. So I, I was looking forward to the Nate Doss episode, and it sounds like he's pretty excited to come back on another time. So we're not not heard the last of him yet. We can get a few more stories out of him because he's kind of seen it all and and just one of the one of the best guys you could possibly have for a format like this, just from a perspective of all the things that he's been able to do and how well he can tell you those stories. He's a great storyteller, kind of kind of in the vein of the of Mr. Jeremy Colling. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an awesome episode. I had a lot of fun with him. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week before we kicked off. I'm going to mention it again. Another win for the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park, New York yesterday. Uh, and the Bills are headed to the AFC Championship game. Um, I know you said that you hope they make it all the way to the Super Bowl, and it's one game closer now, Nate. Yeah, I need them to go farther than just make it to the Super Bowl. I need them to bring it home. All right, you heard that, Western New York. Nate Sexton is pulling for the Buffalo Bills to bring that Super Bowl home. Now, before we get going on this awesome episode, Nate, I think everybody's used to it by now. We're going to take care of a little business and talk about our friends over at Fisher Disc Golf. Guys, you already know who Fisher Disc Golf is. They're the home of the disc stacks, and uh, they've got a lot of really cool things that they're introducing to their website now. Um, you guys can hop on FisherDiscGolf.com. Uh, you could check out the Choose Your Own Color Fisher Disc Golf Apparel. They've got t-shirts. They've got dry fits, hoodies, pants, uh, just a lot of really cool uh, stuff for you to wear out there on the course and uh, and represent an awesome company that's been uh, very supportive to us. Uh, they've got a big announcement coming out uh, this Thursday. Um, so last night they made this announcement uh, about the Fisher Disc Golf team. So make sure you hop over to their uh, website, FisherDiscGolf.com, where you can check them out on Facebook at Fisher Disc Golf. They're the same on Instagram. Uh, again, Disc Stacks on Tuesday and Friday at 8 p.m. Uh, you can buy those pools early because they've been selling out these things, Nate. I like to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, again, you're going to hop over to FisherDiscGolf.com. You're going to check out all of their 18 brands, all of the different discs and apparel that they have. And because you're a listener of Running It With Nate Sexton, you're going to get not only free shipping, but you're going to save 10%. And what do they got to do to save that 10%, Nate? You got to use our code RUNIT10. Now, Nate, I know you've had a lot of exciting things uh, going on recently, and uh, one of them is you finally got a haircut. Why was that? Well, you know, Shomez, it's back, and I couldn't look at myself in the webcam. I was starting to have to wear hats for every kind of every 
FaceTime call, if I had anything with Innova, uh, it was getting bad. So yeah, I got out there, uh, got myself a haircut. It's like, it's, it's like probably been almost a year since I'd done anything like that, aside from backyard haircuts that I did myself. So felt good. And now, uh, now I'm a, a little more put together. Yeah, you looked great. You sounded great. Shomez was absolutely awesome. And I think that our guest for this week is uh, just as excited about it as you are. Right, Nate? Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, we've got the ringleader tonight. We've got the the lord of the whole Jomez Pro kingdom, the founder of Jomez Pro, Mr. Jonathan Gomez. Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> How are you hey, doing, Jonathan. How are you, man? That was... <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> the Lord of the Jomans Kingdom. <laughs> it, it's right. getting pretty close right. to a kingdom. I mean, I you got to realize that it's growing fast. It really is. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I love that every year we do this. There's more and more people that we get to bring into this because it just keeps growing and it just requires more and more people. It's it's awesome. What what have you been doing this off season? Well, I've been. Uh, Definitely enjoying my time at home as I do every off season. I know I got to spend a little more time at home this year uh, com- compared to other years, but I was still, you know, ready to get home after after we wrapped up at the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship. And then I've been doing a lot of work on my house. I'm kind of getting it ready, doing a little bit of renovations and stuff, so that at some point this year they can uh, sell it and uh, get into something else. So it's been. It's been a lot of fun, kind of frustrating. I've painted more than I ever have in my entire life, and I'm kind of sick of it. But it's like it's cool when you stand back after all the work is done, and you just like get to enjoy like that you are able to accomplish something like that. Because home improvement stuff is it's not for everybody. It's definitely a there's a lot that goes into it, and obviously there's some stuff that I can't do that I have to pay people to do. But I try to do everything I can myself that I'm capable of. Yeah, even the little kind of pathetic projects that i get done I, I feel this sense of pride like i patched a hole in the wall like a little yeah. that the the previous owners had there from when they hung a picture and it and you can't <laughs> tell it's there unless you get within three feet of it yep and I i'm just, like oh, i'm really doing it i just did that in one of, in the guest bathroom there's been a whole a picture hanging over a hole in the wall since i moved in it was literally there when i bought the house and i somehow didn't care enough that it was a deal breaker and then i never moved the picture and i finally <laughs> i finally did it i finally patched it up and like you said it's like you love it that you that no one would ever know and then even you're like i can kind of still maybe tell but like no one's looking at a random yeah. spot on the wall in a, in a guest bathroom to see if there used to be a hole there so yeah (laughs) it always it always makes me laugh you know we live in these houses for years and years and then we update them and make them look beautiful just so we can get rid of them right exactly that's what me and my fiance christina have been have been talking about we're like shouldn't we just stay here at this point we're like yeah but no no i think we should still get rid of it but it's it's funny because i've lived in this house for i think eight years now and i'm just now like hitting into high gear replacing flooring and painting and and all kinds of stuff so it's like yeah it's pretty funny how that happens but that's how it goes you got to make it look nice for the next people and hope hope that the same thing happens for for you and your next home so did you did you get any piece of that texas snowstorm yeah we did we actually we i always tell people when they ask if it snows wherever where i live here in west texas in san angelo and i tell them we get one day a year i mean sometimes two but almost always one day and this last time we got uh one day and it was like a decent little usual snowstorm snow 
not a storm, but anyways, it snowed and it didn't really stick. And then like a week later, it was uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, it snowed like a lot, like all day. It never does that. It never snows for more than a couple hours. And it's, it probably snowed like four inches or something, which is like insane here. And it actually stuck and there was snowmen up and down the block because usually we don't get snow that sticks. So it's like kind of a bummer. But when it sticks, people take advantage. And, and so it was cool. It was probably the most snow I've seen since I lived here. And I've lived here a really long time. So yeah, Jarrett's always talking about how much he wishes it would snow up there in Buffalo. <laughs> I bet so. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> he almost never gets anything like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a pretty rare occurrence for us to get a an actual snow that where it sticks to the ground because the ground stays so warm here all the time because it never gets cold for more than a few days at a time. So, but at least that way you got hoggers biting three sixty five, right? Absolutely, you could be you. I've fished on Christmas Day probably every Christmas since I can remember because it was always at least like tolerable enough that I could go fishing at my grandparents when we we all be at there at the at their house and so yeah, nice. <laughs> fishing is fishing is definitely like a you're able to do it pretty much three sixty five here. Nice. Well, man, I I guess we'll, let's get into it because I wanted to you know bring up the fact that it's we're getting kind of close now to ten years uh, since you kind of picked up the camera and got this Jomez thing going, and I wanted to kind of just start this whole thing off because I'm sure we're going to refer to some people in the team. Just give you a chance to kind of go quickly through, you know, who is the founding couple members and and how big the team has grown now. Yeah, so so I started it by myself. Um kind of by accident as as most people know and then I after a couple years of just hitting a few tournaments solo I finally decided that it would the the videos would look way better with two camera angles you know one at the t-pad and one further down the fairway so that's when I got my my uh, good friend Michael that I'd known for a long time since high school and so he jumped in and I taught him how to run a camera and then Jerry came along shortly after because we wanted three cameras and then uh my brother Chris, who got me into disc golf, so he's technically you could put him before everybody, just because I wouldn't even have known about disc golf if it wasn't for him. Sure. Um, let's see, and also my fiance Christina is on the crew. We've got Brian Geis, we got Kevin, we've got Ryan, we've got Kyler, and then we got Ben, who is our music guy. Um, so I don't know. Did I say Juan? I'm like all over the place. Not yet. We haven't got to Juan yet. <laughs> definitely Juan. Definitely Juan came in and and has has uh, committed to this. You know, just like everybody else. That's what I love about everybody on the crew is is everyone that's here is is pretty much committed to this thing full time. Just about. I mean, not quite everybody, but but for the most part, like everyone's all in. So it's it's really great. It's a it's a great team to have because we're all you know we all work so well together and I, and I love it even when we add new people like it's it's a miracle sometimes that the fact that we've been able to bring new people in especially the road crew because being on the road is tough I mean you know how that goes and if you if you don't get along with the people just right sometimes it just doesn't work and we've been fortunate to not to not really come across that yet so it's awesome yeah for sure the team is getting huge like i i'm starting to not even know everybody and that's crazy to think that <laughs> how many people are involved it's it's great though yeah uh and i think you know like you mentioned you know people kind of know that story the the genesis of joe mez down there in charlotte uh when you were there to play and and film Macbeth's first title so i don't i don't think we need to get into that too much uh we've talked about it a little bit on this show that the day that i want to hear a little bit more about 
is the day that you decided to quit your job. And, and I want to know how, for one, how you told your mom and then, <laughs> and then how long was it before you started asking your friends to quit their jobs? Cause like you're saying, these, your team is not like a lot of people aren't working other jobs at this point. Jomas has become, you know, an employer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely become the case. It's, it's, it's amazing to, that we are at this point and I'm very proud of that. And of course we wouldn't be able to do that with this without the support of, of the fans and, and you guys, the players and, and the tours and everything. So it's just a great environment, but yeah, going back to, uh, that was back in 2017. Um, at this point it was me, Michael and Jerry. Um, and then Juan had come in and helped us do the graphics for 2016 worlds, which was also like the first time we, we're able to pay Nate Sexton to do commentary at 2016 Worlds with Steve Hill. Yeah. And so that was a pretty big deal because we took a huge direction, like a change of direction in 2016 at Worlds, just because like it just, once Juan came in and helped with the graphics, it took it to another level because I was not good at it and I was doing my best. So um, yeah, after 2016 Worlds, we just felt like we ended the season on a, that was the end of our season basically because we didn't really have many more events lined up. I think I might've done USDGC, but that was like under UC Maresma's direction and spin TV. So as far as Joma is like, I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure that's how it ended up for ended for us that year. And so, um, we started getting a lot more like interest in our product though, cause worlds was, was pretty impactful. And, um, I think it came down to, I guess we still started the season. Okay, yeah, we started the season in uh, Scottsdale at the Memorial. You know, the Disc Golf Pro Tour was in its second year under Steve Dodge. And I remember, I think we went to that tournament and then Steve had approached me and said, hey, like we've got nine more of these events. Um, are you interested in, in basically committing to covering them all? And I was kind of on the fence, not because I didn't want to, but because I knew that that would require me quitting my job. And I had already pushed my vacation days and off time to the limit in 2015. I think we did 10 events in 2015, just me and Michael. And I almost got fired. Basically, they told me like, hey, that's that's great that you're pursuing this and all that. But you took three weeks beyond your two weeks vacation. I took three weeks of unpaid time in 2015 you, doing? you were doing like truck like truck parts and yeah sales. i worked at, i worked at a i worked at a business called bruckner truck sales and they're they specialize in mac and volvo parts or well they they do full service you know but i worked in the parts department thankfully michael who was working at best buy at the time and jerry who was also working at a truck parts place like literally across the highway from me we talked to each other all the time dealing with each other and i'd known him for a long time just because of disc golf and from high school so anyways we were all just like in a place where we're like you know we weren't married we didn't have any kids we we're like let's just do it like this this sounds fun we love what we're doing let's do let's commit to it because there's no way it's going to work like i'm going to get fired if i try to do 10 more events in 2017 <laughs> like i didn't in, in 15 because 16 i dumbed it down I, I think we did six that year because i told myself like i'm not doing that again or i'll get fired and i'm not i don't know what i'm going to do if that happens but Thankfully, the opportunity came up with the, with the Pro Tour, and we did it. We uh, we came home from from um, from the memorial, and I do want to really quickly just put a little aside here that I remember Chris Finn. Some of you know him from from Dude Clothing. Um, he was there. Dude Clothing was kind of 
was was pushing really hard to be out on tour as well around that same time and i remember we we had a conversation and he was basically just telling me like hey like you you pretty much just just have to commit to this like if you really want to do this like you have to to see it through and, and not have any regrets and i remember him having that conversation with me like we had just finished filming hole 18 at at fountain hills and the tournament was over and we had like a 30 minute conversation and i'm not even sure like how it came up but we had that conversation it really stuck with me so there's a good you know 20 hour drive home or something back to texas and i just really got me thinking and that's when i was like all right i think this is i think this is something we need to do and like i said we got michael and jerry they were all about it so we did it we we quit our jobs we decided that the only way to to make it work as far as financially was to go out on road on tour and stay out like the flying back and forth wasn't going to work especially with three people and 10 events or more and so we decided to look into an rv and i found an rv in san antonio which is like three hours away from us me and jerry went to go look at it i had no experience with rvs i didn't know what to look at i didn't know how to operate an rv other than you know hopefully being able to steer it correctly but as far as like working the you know nate you're you're familiar with rvs and i'm sure you're familiar i mean you remember like not knowing anything and just having to like to yeah. get a crash course at the dealership or whatever you know basically because yeah, like exact same we've talked some rvs yeah and so like you know we we didn't know anything about it but we we're like this is basically what we have to do like we have to buy an rv so that we can hit the road and and like be able to to stay in this thing and save some money and so we did it we drove to san antonio we bought the thing for twenty thousand dollars my parents co-signed on it and i had to get a loan for it to to pay for it i had already quit my job but the bank didn't know that so they thought i had a nice steady income so they gave me the loan <laughs> i would i wasn't worried because i knew i was like uh ah, you know rv loans aren't that much they'll give them to you for like a 20-year note which is pretty ridiculous because rvs don't last that long but that's just how recreational vehicle loans are are structured yeah. so they gave me the loan for next to nothing per month and i knew that i could pay it off in like a couple of years if we if, if this worked yeah it's so cool to look back on and i just like there was just so many moments of just like i couldn't believe we survived those <laughs> some of the stuff we encountered in 2017 when we first started it was it's it's great memories but it's just at the same time like i don't know if i could do that again (laughs) (laughs) i think we say a a lot and we talked about it on a previous episode like nate said that you kind of got into this by accident but i've got to think it couldn't really have been an accident i mean you had your camera there with you ready to go for a reason was it something that you had discussed or thought about doing before you kind of fell into it well, I will say that the reason, the main reason I had my camera was because I was basically on vacation. It was 2012 uh, World Championships. It's the it was the last Pro and Am champion World Championships that is that has like existed at the same time. They used to do them a lot more, and it just requires a lot from the the city to to do that. So they haven't done it since. And um, there was just a ton of people there. So I knew that I was going to go and I was going to just play the AM side. And when I wasn't doing that, I was on vacation. I went to Carowinds, went to like the aquarium at Myrtle Beach and all kinds of stuff. Like I had a a great time and I had my camera there because I was just kind of like taking video and pictures of the stuff I was doing for fun. But it also turned out that I was like, well, I can go follow some of these cards. Like I was like Will Shustrick was like the reason that I like started following pro disc golf. 
that's he's the only one I knew. Like Will Shustrick, and then I think I knew Dave Felberg because his name was on the boss. But other than that, like I didn't know a whole lot about the pro scene. But I knew that those guys were going to be there, and I really kind of just like followed them around. I really just followed Will around. Like if he was on the wherever card he was, I was there. So I ended up bringing my camera. And I don't know if anybody remembers a, a man by the name of James Tennedy, who used to do nonstop disc golf. That was in 2012, whenever Will Shustrick and Nico and Kale and Dave were all in an RV, and they were all in their little tour and in a little RV that I think ended up, I don't know what happened to that RV. I think someone else ended up <laughs> using it for another tour. But anyways, we, uh, yeah, I was just like, that I followed them so closely whenever they started putting videos out. And I remember being there at Worlds and James was caddying for Will. And I was like, wait, you're not videoing? You're not filming like Worlds? He's like, no, no, I'm caddying for Will. And I was like, what? Like he's been filming events all year, like GBO and, you know, whatever was going through Texas and anywhere else, California. And it comes time for like what I, what I knew to be at the time the biggest event in disc golf and he wasn't filming and I was just like kind of stunned and so that's when I was like well I guess if he's not filming like I guess I'm just gonna bring my camera to come follow these guys around so for the however many rounds it was do you remember how many rounds it used to be or specifically in 2012 Nate was it seven rounds or something? seven and then in the final nine or something yeah so it was a lot so I was able to like catch quite a few rounds with him with my camera and I never really did anything but just get little clips nothing to, that I had any intention of doing anything with you know especially not like covering a full round and I remember it came time for the final nine on that last Saturday. And of course, I didn't play well enough to make it to Saturday. So I was totally free. And I just remember <laughs> showing up with my camera and seeing more people than I'd ever seen for disc golf ever. And I still think that it is to this day one of the biggest crowds of disc golf, for disc golf I've ever seen other than maybe Finland. Just because there was so many people. I mean, it was Charlotte. Yeah. And I know it was yeah. 2012, but... Charlotte's got a, a like a well-established disc golf scene. So there was probably more people still like as far as how many people were there that day. And I remember there being the yellow ropes and everybody was there doing their thing. And I just thought there's no one filming. All this is about to go down and there's no one here with a camera. And I just like, all, I knew Will and I knew James and I kind of just stood next to them like on the whole one, like whole one's tee pad. <laughs> And I just started filming and like, I just knew that like, if, if someone asked me what I'm doing, I don't have an answer. Like I'm not here for anybody. I don't have a pass or credentials or anything. So it really was by accident. Like I know people don't necessarily believe that, but like, it just, it just happened. Like it, I was nervous and I would have crumbled if someone had asked me what I was doing. I would have, would not have stood my ground and like said I belong there. I would have just left. <laughs> and then we would, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So it's crazy. I, I just, I can't even, sometimes I look back and I'm just like, I can't believe that that happened because I'm not the kind of guy that's like, oh, screw that. I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Like, I'm not that kind of guy. It just happened. Like it just, because I had enough confidence earlier in the week that I had my, brought my camera a couple other times to follow Will that I just decided that I was going to do it on that weekend's biggest stage. So it was, it's pretty nuts. And before we, before we kind of move on uh, with the interview, I want to, I, I owe it to our listeners. I think this show, you know, we certainly, we talk about disc golf, but this isn't really a disc golf podcast. This is an RV horror stories podcast. <laughs> and I was and just I, thinking that, yeah, that's what we, that's what the people come to hear. So I want to, 
get your recollection of the moment that that first RV, right, right at the exact moment that it went from having a, an intact roof to having a giant hole in the roof. <laughs> All right. <let's laughs> oh. do it. Michael's going to love this one. All right. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 2017. I'm pretty sure that was the same year. It could have been 2018, but I don't think it was. I'm going to say 17. So we're up in, uh, we're up making our way to Maple Hill um in the rv and what i didn't know at the time was that like the further you head up towards the northeast the older the country is and like the less like the roads are smaller and the bridges are lower and there's just no space to park anything that's not like a, a subaru and i say that because there's a lot of subarus in massachusetts anyways um so we get up we we we're, we're making our way up that way and I think we were like, hey, we're going to pass through Scranton, Pennsylvania. Like, we all love the office. Let's go, let's go see what Scranton's like, even though it's like, you know, there's nothing there anymore. It's been, the office is long gone. And it obviously wasn't even filmed there. Yeah. So, but we were just like, well, it'd be still be cool just to drive through. So, of course, but it happened to be like middle of the night. Michael was driving and I just told him like, well, just find a, a uh, find the Walmart in Scranton. And in the morning, we'll see if we can like, find some sign or something and then we'll hit, we'll move on down the road because back then all we did was just park in walmart's so we lived in walmart parking lots basically the whole year because it doesn't cost anything and you'll pretty much never get kicked out there might be a couple where they'll give you a hard time but for the most part walmart's are are pretty safe spots for rvs to park overnight and um so we're in scranton like me and jerry are basically asleep i guess i'm kind of awake like half awake but not really and i remember michael's kind of like freaking out he's like i think this thing's like taking me a weird way i don't know what it's trying to get me to do and i'm just like half awake i'm like well just you know like not being very helpful you know just like well just just see what what it says and let me know if you need help and he makes a turn and then we hear the loudest crash like above (laughs) us and i'm like what the heck just happened of course, I just immediately jump up. Me and Jerry look at each other like, what just happened? And I go up to the front and I realize like we are under a bridge, like under an old railroad bridge and we're stuck. And it's probably like <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, I'm stunned. Like, I'm not going to yell at Michael. Like, I'm not. I'm, I know that it's like there had to have been a reason that this happened. Like, I'm just like, but I'm stunned. And I just get out of the RV and I look and there's not a single car anywhere. This is the weirdest thing is like, I know it was in the middle of the night, but like there wasn't a single car to be like, hey guys, what happened? Blah, blah, or no police or anything. So we're just the only ones and I'm just looking around like, this is insane. And I look, I go around to the back and of course there's those little ladders that you can climb at the back and ours is like all the way up the back, it's fine. But when you get to the top, it's been flattened. It doesn't really curl over the top anymore. And I look, I climb up there and like I get as high as I can. And I look and I'm like, yeah, we're definitely stuck. And I can see that the the most of the damage was was taken on the, the air conditioner unit, which is like the highest point of the, the roof. Like there's like the windows are like the little skylights are lower. So thankfully we didn't hit any of those. We didn't actually hit the roof itself which was a miracle because otherwise the RV basically would have been totaled. It would have been worthless if the frame gets like smashed like that. So thankfully all of the, all of the impact was taken on the air conditioner unit. And I told Michael, I was like, you basically are in the middle of this bridge. I was like, 
at this point you have to keep going forward you can't go backwards and so like i'm standing out in the road like i said at this point we're talking like 15 minutes or something and not a single car has passed so it just happens to be the most like the most remote part of of this little area of scram no one drives on even at midnight or one o'clock in the morning so i'm like here we go like he hits the gas and it's just like the worst sound and it's just like this thing is just like we're scraping this bridge oh, man. air conditioner is just getting trashed further than it already was and we make it out from under it and i'm just like okay i mean i guess we're okay like the rv's actually still intact like we don't have it we have a hole in the ceiling where our ac unit was but it didn't actually do any damage it just took the ac off and kind of mangled it on the roof and so we go to the we, we find the walmart we all kind of calm down and we, we were able to like put a trash bag over it for the night. It wasn't like raining or anything, so it wasn't really like a huge issue. And so <laughs> the next morning I get up on the roof and I'm just like pulling all the pieces and picking them all up and kind of throwing them down so I can box them all up and throw them away. And I go back to the, to the, basically the scene of the crime. We get <clears throat> as close as we can to this bridge the next day. Cause I was like, I'm going to have to file an insurance claim. Like they're going to ask me all kinds of questions. Like I'm going to like, I'm going to sound like an idiot, but. I guess whatever I got to do. So I call them. I call the insurance company. They're like, okay, yeah, no problem. Like they didn't ask me a single question. Where did it happen? <laughs> they didn't ask me anything. I thought I was like, do I need to get a police report? All this, nothing. And I'm like stunned. I'm like, I guess they just think that people hit their, like crash their RVs into bridges all the time. Cause she didn't even ask me a question. They, they probably just, do. <laughs> I'm guessing so. And I remember as we were getting ready to leave, I was just like, okay, well, let's hit the road. And that this lady's like walking by the RV and we have Texas plates and we're obviously way up in Pennsylvania. And she goes, oh, y'all are from Texas? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're from Texas, blah, blah. And she's like, what are y'all doing up here? And I was like, well, we're on our way to another uh, disc golf tournament. But I had to come back here because we hit that bridge last night. She goes, oh, man, people hit that thing all the time. And I was like, are you serious? There's no signs. There's a tree <laughs> in half of the bridge. Like there really was like tree branches overgrowing this bridge. And I couldn't believe it. That made me so mad. I was like, they don't care. Like when you're up there, like you just have to know better. I guess you don't, they don't have clearance signs or anything on some of these old railroad bridges. It's insane. But, and there's a lot of them. Cause we've, Michael has, you know, got PTSD now for, for bridges and stuff. And anytime we go up that, you know, to that area, it's, uh, he's like looking at it and he's like, I don't know, it doesn't have a sign. And we're like, well, I guess we better not chance it. But it's, it surprises me how, how many bridges in that, you know, up in that part of the country, like, are just not marked. And like, there's entire YouTube channels dedicated to like cameras that are pointed at bridges like that because there's yeah. just people that smash them all the time. And so I always wondered if, if we ended up on like a camera feed of that because, <laughs> It definitely was. Yeah. And yeah, I think even to this day, Michael's, you know, we can laugh about it, but I think he still like gets kind of sketched out if, even if it says like 13 foot and we're like 12, nine and he's still just like, I don't know if I should trust it. I was like, three inches is not a lot of room. It really I remember isn't. thinking that about our RV too. Just like if it was ever even close, I'd be like, hey, what is it? 10 miles to get around? Like, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Like, let's just do extra <laughs> 10 miles. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was, that's probably the worst thing that happened and and then we we got to Maple Hill and it started raining and so of course we had to like find a way to cover the the our the hole in the roof with more than a trash bag cuz it was going to collect water so it was a fun little experience and thankfully we 
got to head home after that. So we got to get the a new AC and all that good stuff. And yeah, we survived. It's it's pretty crazy the the amount of trouble you can get in with an RV. But I think we made it out pretty well because, like I said, if that bridge would have been six inches or less lower, like we would have done a lot more damage, and that RV probably wouldn't have left pennsylvania in one piece so <laughs> <laughs> well sorry to mike but thank you for sharing because that's definitely oh, yeah. what our listeners uh keep tuning back in for i gotta keep <laughs> them keep them uh their 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 bellies full on that kind of stuff they're yeah. always looking for more rv stories there's nothing to make you feel good about getting into trouble like that than hearing other people tell their Absolutely. stories because i know that you talked about Macbeth and you with the with the awning and yep. and all that so it's always nice to be able to trade those those stories because it's just it just makes you feel like i'm not i'm not like a, a complete idiot like and it's okay like there's there's a lot of chances for you to make mistakes in an rv so it's just gonna happen yeah and speaking of uh mike specifically follow flight mike and not being an idiot i would say <laughs> i don't feel like i'm an idiot when it comes to like computers or or anything you know i don't know how to edit a video really but you know i'm i'm, I'm doing okay <laughs> from where i'm standing mike might be the best in the whole world like i can't tell the guy appears to be a one-man army when it comes to just like getting anything done editing he just seems like when i stand next to him when he's editing like i would be crazy just just to make a peep he's like so focused but the mouse is moving at a speed that i just don't even comprehend the guy is incredible yeah i i 100 percent everything you said is accurate i it's funny to think like i taught michael how to film disc golf and i taught him how to edit disc golf and he took it and he just he became a master at it, at really at both, but at editing, like you said, like he might be the best in the world. And I, and I fully believe that too, because he's developed techniques that I think that the, we use Adobe Premiere and I think that people at Adobe would like be in awe at some of the stuff he's figured out as far as how to streamline the process and get as, as fast as humanly possible. Like he's taken the art of, or he's taken editing and turned it into an art where it's just, it's amazing the the turnaround time that the man is able to do like like we have guys like brian and, and juan that do graphics and kevin that helps with fall fights and stuff and that's like all of it comes together to to make like a really quick turnaround but if michael wasn't doing what he did and editing 18 holes of for a four-man card and adding in like the mics and you know like the reaction cams all the stuff we've thrown at him over the years that we keep adding it's just like he just rolls with it like it's it's amazing i just he's got to be what like, if there was like an olympics or like a, you know some sort of skills challenge like he yeah i don't think anyone would beat him i just don't That's think what i'm talking possible. about he's, he doesn't it, it doesn't insane. seem possible yeah, and that I, that honestly makes me think like with jomez becoming like a global brand you know you're getting views all over the world now have you ever worried that like, you know, Mike's from South Africa and have you ever worried that maybe somebody in the tourism office at South Africa is going to see a, a Jomez video and maybe like make him an offer he can't refuse, you know, to try to try to sell some plane tickets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it probably definitely... wasn't until now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I'm really <laughs> yeah, concerned. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I bet. It... I bet. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so it's so crazy and yeah that michael could probably get a, a pretty handsome offer from a lot of places so 
I just have to hope that that our friendship is solid enough now. But uh, he's yeah. been he's been with my right hand man like since the beginning. Since I asked him to do it, he's just always been down for anything. And like it's just I can never thank him enough for everything he's done and he continues to do because it's just like even even to this day, like with Shomez and everything else that we come up with from day to day it's just and i called him i mean no one knows this because we did this before in our little test setup for this call but i didn't know how to set up the microphone just right and or the password for the computer that we use for showmez and i called him and he answered and like we're my microphone sounds way better than it was going to before we started because he answered the phone so he's just he's always been there it's like he's one of my best friends and i've known him forever and i hope that that never changes because like i wouldn't be where i am with without michael for sure he's got the midas touch whatever whatever he gets his hands on and as a fan it really shows and not to take anything away from all of the folks that are out there getting us disc golf coverage because as a fan i appreciate being able to see every single thing that i possibly can but there is a considerable difference between watching jomez and everyone else and uh obviously that's because of the incredible staff that you have yeah i appreciate that i mean there's a lot of great there's a lot of great crews out there doing some really great things like i i think that there's i like that certain crews like have their signature thing that they add into their coverage and that's something that like there's things that we just don't do and that's what i appreciate about all these other crews doing what they do because we all kind of have our personal touch and there's people that like one channel over the other and i think that's great because like the competition inside the the media game especially the post-production game i think it's very healthy i love it i i would wouldn't ever want to just be in charge of every card that gets covered on tour i just i love that that the sport supports the independent media companies and doesn't just try to put it all under one blanket company because i think that i think that the the fans would actually like get a, like the short end of the stick there because then we wouldn't be there wouldn't be these different crews pushing each other just trying to add new features and 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 get faster and all that so i love that like we have such a unique thing here in disc golf that independent media companies are like encouraged to continue to do their thing and there's not just one you know even the disc golf network you know jeff spring they do such a great job but they're not trying to just like put it all under one under one company and then just call it good so they they do they still support the the independent media and and i think that's what's causing this to keep growing like the quality of the product is just like going to continue as long as there's that healthy competition yeah i agree i think it's great and more opportunity for players to try commentary and Mm-hmm. and more opportunity because if it's just you guys you know you could get a huge team and film two maybe three cards but like mm-hmm. there's some of these tournaments that are probably getting six or seven cards filmed at this point you know yeah. all through the tournament and with the women and the masters and and everything it's so much media for people to get their hands on and and learn about the game and just learn about the players absolutely i hope that never changes i hope that 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 we continue to support the independent media just because it's it's doing so many great things for the sport and so you guys have lead cards for disc golf pro tour and the national tour for 2021 yes yeah the mpo lead cards for for both of the tours sweet so it's going to be a good year um i was curious if you might kind of take us through the just like the general workflow of like a three round DGPT style 
event from from Jomez's perspective because I feel like from what I'm able to see, you know, being in the commentary seat and and staying in the Airbnb with you guys or whatever, I think people are very likely underestimating the number of hours of work that go into turning all that around and and living up to that next day promise. And I also wonder as a second question, if you're getting more or less sleep now that you're the manager of like a 10 person team. <laughs> yeah. So I'm probably going to miss something in the process because there's just so many, so many parts to it, but you know, we, we're obviously out there for pretty much three and a half, four hours filming on the, on the course. And we've got it now to where Michael is a full-time editor. He's no longer on the course because that's the only reason he he's able to turn around stuff so fast is that he basically meets us after every nine holes or after the front nine and takes our cards. And we have our, a second set of cards that we fill in the back nine on. So he's able to drive back. We try to stay as close as we can to the course. And he drives back and he starts ingesting the footage, which takes time, you know, copying all to a hard drive before he can even start. And then he starts cutting it. And then we finish the back nine. And we come back to the house immediately and we give him the cards for the back nine so he can just continue to do his thing. And that's when, uh, you know, Brian usually uh, does the graphics, all the scoring graphics that Juan designed and kind of set up a system where we can take the uh, information that we get from from the UDISC system. And they, they've helped us with, uh, you know, uh, certain spreadsheets and stuff to take that information and turn it into graphics. And, and then Kevin... Uh, usually helps with follow flights because he's like just like Michael just kind of figured out how to how to do it in the most efficient way and in a consistent way um, and so yeah so that's basically like there's a few people there that that are really key in the in those times and then we Michael does his thing and just chops away at it so that we can get ready for commentary that night we usually do commentary like around 10 o'clock which is unheard of before 2020 like before that we would do commentary in the morning yeah. Um, much to germs. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, <laughs> he he complained. I mean, I love the guy. I, I'm just giving him a hard time. But, you know, Nate knows. I'm yeah. like, hey, guys, let's do commentary at uh, 830. And germs like, 830? What about like 11? And I'm like, germ, we're trying to get the videos out. Like, I know, like, no. So I get it. It's just funny. It's, it's just the whole player commentator thing. Like, I, I, you guys do so much. People don't even know how hard it is, like what it takes to be a player commentator. But anyways, <laughs> and help run commentary and record all that. And so we get through commentary, and which is like an hour, sometimes a little longer. And then I hand it back to Michael and he masters it and gets it already. And that's when he can upload the videos basically in the middle of the night. Because even if the internet's slow, we still have it ready by like 8 in the morning. So it's a... It's a crazy process. You know, we might finish at like 5 p.m., 6 p.m. and have it ready by 8 a.m., you know? So it's like, it's gotten to like a 12-hour turnaround, which is just insane. Like, I can't even believe it. And to to answer your yeah. other question, thankfully, there is, with a bigger team and spreading out the workload, I have been able to get more sleep in the last couple of years. Like, because I probably would be in much worse shape physically if I, yeah. if I had to continue what we were doing like 17, 18, 19, like a pretty solid three years of just like really putting myself through. I mean, we all were, but like I was always the last one up, like doing graphics and rendering and getting it ready for the morning. And like, 
I got to where times I'd have to ask Michael to run the commentary because I'd be up till like four in the morning and you guys would be there like at eight or nine and I just like I have to sleep because we got to go and do this all over again. So thankfully, like I said, with Michael getting a lot faster at it and just adding guys like Brian and Kevin on the post-production side and of course with Juan, just all the work he does, getting it all like established, like it's 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 made my life a lot easier and I can't thank them enough for for being like, just a part of the team and so reliable because it's the only way it was it was going to work because i knew that whatever we do we have to get this thing to where it's going to be sustainable you know i can't be staying up to four in the morning i can't ask michael to do that or jerry or brian or kevin or juan or anybody like we have to spread this out because if we want to keep doing this for the next five ten plus years however it looks like we have to get it into a better place or some somebody's going to get burnt out and you have to be careful because it is really easy to get burnt out if you if you don't kind of take care of your people or, or put systems in place that are like basically just more efficient around the time that michael started getting a lot faster and having commentary ready at nighttime did you happen to notice his uh, flat brim hat collection maybe really bulking up or him getting a bunch of new thunderbirds for his bag <laughs> wait are you talking about germ germ bribe well, germ bribe i'm just Michael thinking not have to get up in the oh, morning oh i get it i get it. i missed it <laughs> no that's funny i um man i think germ probably does owe michael quite a bit because that's probably made germ's life so much better not He's having to get out. up oh my gosh i remember specifically at at um memorial and he was playing the sharks, a shark dude. game the Those shark sharks. game on his ipad and you three in the morning like, yeah so that's like whenever he'd be like hey i think commentary would be ready like 11 he'd be like oh 11 i'm like germ you're playing your game until like three in the morning why <laughs> why is that a problem like it's so funny sometimes the little fight the little things he wants to like pick at and i'm just like you have no leg to stand on like we know you better than than you know yourself sometimes it's so funny i love germ but i love that about him that I can usually like find the way around his his arguments sometimes because he just it, he just wants to like do his thing and it's so obvious to everyone else sometimes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the things that makes me remember is like uh, all the times you know for years we were doing it where we would do commentary in the morning, mm -hmm. and you know you guys would be like staying up all night, and Jerem and I kind of had this running joke that we thought was funny. That like after the front nine would end, we'd be like in the back of the RV and just us doing commentary and the front nine would end and we'd be like, hey, you know, guys, video's done. And like you guys would like maybe fall asleep in that yeah, time, which totally definitely. understood. And then we start busting out the, hey, nerds, like we got to get to, you know, get the video like we jocks got to get this done and just this just goofing around. Um, so, yeah, I remember that for sure. And then now that we've switched to nights. The, the only thing I think that's hard about it is uh, if it gets too late, obviously, then it starts to be like a little bit tricky to like be witty, I feel like, because I'm starting to get sleepy, mm -hmm. but that's not so bad. But the thing that I think it really has increased is the number of guys in the comment section just like, these dudes are blazed, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Even though nobody is nobody is high. Like, yeah, no, not no, a single person, especially whole not anybody operation. on camera. Yeah. And, and yet every video we ever that. put out, 
And every time we do Shomez, the whole oh comment gosh. section is just, oh my God, look at German Nate. And I'm always like, what? I don't they know what. That. I mean, you try looking into a, a ring light and, and yeah. talking on camera. See how you look, I guess. They just did that to us on the season premiere, the season yeah, two I premiere. Saw it all so over. many, so yeah, many. And like, And I'm just like... Oh my I don't gosh. know what they're thinking. I've been getting it my whole life, or not my whole life, but I guess my entire adult life because I just like kind of have squinty eyes or whatever. But I remember the first like comment on one of my earliest videos back in 2015 that I remember was kind of like mean, like sort of mean what I would have taken it as. And I remember I was interviewing uh, Yeti, Jay Redding, after he won um, a tournament, I think it was uh, in Houston over at Shawshank. And um, and someone was like, "Man, I smoke weed too, but I don't, I don't just like advertise it. Like you're just you're just interviewing somebody on camera high." And I was like, "Dude, I've been squinty since birth. Like I don't know what you want from me, but <laughs> yeah. I'm I said I said something like, I'm sober as a judge, dude. Like you need to chill out." So I remember that was the first time somebody said that about me, like on one of our videos. And then here we are five six years later and people are still doing it like i don't know why people get so much joy out of like trying to point out if someone's high like but that happens a lot it's kind of weird it really is it confuses me for sure i think i i'm not so i'm a little squinty but i think i've just been goofy since birth <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like i'm i'm certainly not yeah i, just, I don't know i, it's I don't understand the, the logic there what people get out of that but uh it's just gonna keep happening so as long as we don't like well we are acknowledging it but for the most part we don't so maybe it'll eventually taper down i don't know yeah don't, don't people realize that jonathan's from texas it's like having weed there is like the death penalty yeah it's, <laughs> there's no we'll there's no messing around we'll probably be the last state in in the united states to to legalize it if ever so <laughs> the thing uh, the other thing i wanted to mention really quick that you briefly mentioned that i think changed the game up for germanized is actually the udisc stats because being able to do the commentary and have that whole like box score right there in front of you where you can kind of dig into the data i think that enriched the way I our experience and I think the fans experience too. It's just a lot more fun when we can actually like say, Hey, the handicap on this hole is this. And, and that's a shout out really to germ. Germ is our stats man. And he's mm -hmm. always up there on the iPad and um, bringing stuff up and answering my questions. If I ask how, how's this, how hard is this hole playing or whatever? And so yeah. definitely a shout out to Udisc because they are, they're not only are they cool guys that run the company, but they made the, the whole media game a little nicer too with that with the inclusion of all those stats absolutely we would like i know that juan and myself have had some really great conversations with matt and josh uh the, the owners over there at udisc over the years and they've always been such a joy to work with they they know like what we do and we can explain to them like what would make it easy what would make our job easier and they've always been there like to help us design like spreadsheets and stuff that Juan can then take and turn it into like After Effects comps and like all this crazy stuff that turns it into like really beautiful graphics on the screen. And we definitely would not be able to do that without without Udisc. I mean, before that, it was paper scorecards. I would take pictures of paper scorecards after the round and then I would have to go and manually make graphics. And it was just a nightmare because when you're already tired and you're editing at two in the morning and you still have to do graphics and you have to do them all manually by hand, it's just, yeah, it was awful. And so Udisc has changed the game in a lot of ways, but especially for media, it's the stats and just the, the scores and you know that it's going to be accurate and it's very rare that, that something happens that it's not. And so it's very, you know, you can trust that 
when it comes time to enter all that information that they've already confirmed it and everything. So yeah, definitely hats off to Matt and Josh. They're, they're definitely an inspiration to us, especially like as a growing company because they kind of started a little bit before us, but as like a, like a small operation and now they are what they are. So I feel like there's a lot of parallels between, between Udisc and, and Joma's pro. And I just love that we can share that, like, share the space in disc golf as like a, a small company that's like been so successful because of the support of of basically t- the sport top to bottom from the people that run the events and the tours and the and the pdga all the way down to the fans so it's a it's disc golf is in a much better place because of udisc and i think joma joma's and udisc too the, the similarity i see there is that like both those guys and you specifically and Joma as, as a whole, really, but you guys are just like such a big picture thinkers where, you know, you could like, and, and Jomez could like sort of like shut down growth and try to like monetize at any time. And you do pretty well for yourselves, mm-hmm. but I feel like you guys are always so cognizant of the fact that like growing the game is more important than growing the brand and that they like are such a hand in hand intertwined thing. And I just, I'm always impressed by that. You guys are always like a step or two ahead of what I might even have thought of in terms of where to take the whole thing next and, and what can be done to like make the fan experience or the player experience or the game. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a credit to the way you guys run, run your, your shows. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. It's, it's all for me. It's always been about like, we just can't get comfortable because yeah going back to the whole like independent media thing and the competition there like we cannot get comfortable because if we sit here and think that we've made it and that we're we're doing just fine then we're not we're no longer doing ourselves or the sport any good because i want to make sure we're always growing we're always trying to push and add something for the next season or develop an entire show like Shomez out of nothing just because of necessary at a necessity for us. And because there was nothing else going on and we wanted to provide something for the fans. Like there's just always, we always had to be thinking on how to improve or how to implement new things or bring in new people. And uh, yeah, that's like, I, I never want to, you know, I don't care how long we do this, but it could be 40 years from now. And I still want to be able to, to hold on to that. Like I don't want us to ever get comfortable because it's not going to do us any good. And we're not doing this to to line our pockets or anything. We're doing this because we want to make the sport better. You know, we want it to grow, but we also just want it to be better quality um, as far as a viewing experience and and the and the value that we have to the players and the fans and and to the the people that make decisions. So that's a uh, and I think that that's catching on. You know, so many other brands that are coming in see that that's how it needs to be done, and you can't come in here. And, and come at it with like a, a casual attitude and not expect to, to really work hard at it because you're not going to be around very long. And so the people that are the companies that are sticking around and these other media companies and and all these other, you know, retailers and, and products that come in know that they have to they have to be committed to it. You can't come in because you're it's it, you'll pretty much be found, you know, people are going to be able to tell the difference pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. I think that you guys have really 
I mean, for a fan, the way that you're not out there just filming disc golf. I mean, the things that you've done with uh, with slow mez and no mez and the follow flights and the drone footage of seeing the hole um, beforehand. I mean, that's just such innovative stuff that we kind of take for granted now that we, we watch it and we expect it. But uh, it's really enhanced the experience so much. And I think that's one of the things. I mean, so many people have commented um, on both, you know, the show mez comment and even on this show when we talked about having you come on people leave messages saying you know Joe Mez is the reason why I'm watching disc golf um, and uh, I think that's just amazing that you're able to provide that kind of experience where did those ideas come from I mean is it you guys just sitting in the RV kicking things around or well I promise I'm not like super full of myself whenever I whenever it just happens to be things that are named after the stuff that rhymes with my last name but uh, <laughs> basically, I think it started with, well, Jomez started because of my name. My last name is Gomez, and me and my brother worked together at a summer camp that he was at for a long time. And so I came in later, and they called him Gomez, and they're like, well, we can't call you Gomez, so we'll call you Jomez. And it was kind of a joke, and that's just how that started. And then fast forward all the way to 2017, like I said, we started at Memorial and really started to committing to the sport and our graphics had been revamped because of one and stuff. And I remember we had implemented the slow motion camera that year. And I guess at some point, my brother, Chris, he was like, Hey, you should name the slow-mo replay. You should name it slow mess. And I just remember like texting him back because this was in the middle of the tournament this was like after round two or something of a four-round tournament and i just kind of text like lol whatever like i thought it was funny but to be honest i thought it sounded kind of dumb but i remember i text one i was like hey my brother said my brother said we should name the slow-mo replay we should name it slow mez and i was just like that was it i left it at that we just thought it was funny and i remember that night one gave me a graphic it's and it said slow mez replay and I was like, what? And I was like, all right, whatever. I'll put it in there. And I remember we put it in there. And Nate and Paul uh, Macbeth were doing commentary for us at, there at the memorial, Sexy Beast commentary. And I remember you can go to whatever round it was, round two or three of that of that tournament of memorial, and they started calling it slow mes. And I remember even Paul was like, kind of saying it like half, half jokingly or kind of laughing because it's kind of a weird name just kind of coming out of nowhere. And so it was basically a joke that turned into one, turning it into a graphic and me somewhat reluctantly putting it on the screen. And then the rest is history. I mean, now we've got multiple designs of slow mez. We've got people that send us videos of a slow motion, whatever, and say slow mez, or there's fans in the, in the middle of a tournament and somebody hits a big putt and people in the crowd start going slow mez. Cause they know that if it's a, like a nest, like a really nice outside the circle putt that it's going to get a slow mez. It's just, they, they, they know that now and people in person now, like will say that on the course and I just can't believe it. Like, I just can't believe that that's what it's come to, come to at this point. This was like naming something like a goofy name that was mean, would mean nothing to anybody that didn't know what it what like what Jomez pro was. So it's pretty funny. And of course, no mez just, comes from it being like just like the opposite of a slow mez so that's basically where that came from and then show mez i think we we said because we didn't really know what to call our show our podcast or whatever you want to call it we call it a non-podcast but so i think we just called it show mez just just to 
again, it's just like playing off of the name and it's kind of dumb, but it makes sense. And here we are. I mean, people really, really enjoy it. And I guess it's just a unique name. And I guess we don't have to worry about running into any copyright issues. So how are you and Chris not doing a show called Bromez yet? I know, right? We did, <laughs> we did come up with some tank tops a couple of years ago. I think we called it Jomez Bro. We didn't know whether they call it Bromez or Jomez Bro, and I think we went with that. But yeah, Bromez would be pretty good. I think somebody, somebody did something that called and they called it Bromez is like a joke too. So it's definitely been suggested. But I don't know, that's a good idea. Maybe me and my brother, we could, we could probably talk all day about really anything. So we could probably make that happen. The players definitely know about the slow mess too, because like definitely players are talking about, hey man, look at this shot. I got a slow mess lined up. I even know, I remember a couple times where I've been like, Jonathan, you need to line this one up, man. I'm gonna give you some content right here if I have a good <laughs> feeling, <laughs> good feeling about a putt or whatever. And I can't be yeah. the only one who's called you over and said, you oh. know, hey man, slow mess time. Let's go. My favorite time that ever happened, and it was the first time it happened because no one had ever really just stopped play. For, to do this but it was greg barsby and in, i'm pretty sure it was 2017 idlewild and i know what hole it was but i can't think of the number um pretty sure it's that really long like it might be like the only par four it's it's on it's on the front nine and it kind of like anyways it runs right along hole one's fairway i don't know if you've ever played idlewild nate so you might not know which hole. I, it is, no but... i actually haven't ever been there anyway so I remember I'm, I'm like, we're in the woods and Barsby's got like a 40 foot putt or something. And he's like, he's pretty in like behind a couple of trees and it's not like a nice open putt, like not very like high percentage for him. And I remember I'm kind of out of position anyways, because like, I guess maybe he had gotten to his disc like too quickly. So I was kind of out of position. I wasn't really in line with him. And I remember him looking at me as he's lining his putt up and he goes, is that where you're going to stand? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, dude, I'm about to make this. Like, I need you to get in position. And I was like, if you're going to tell me what to do, you better make this. Because, I mean, this is in the <laughs> middle of the round. Like, And I was like, I love Greg. And I was obviously joking. But I, like, gave him a little attitude. I was like, if you're going to tell me where to stand, then you better make it. Because otherwise, like, I'm not going to do that again. And so I get in position. And he, of course, cans the putt. And it was amazing. And he like goes up to the basket and he looks at my camera. He just goes slow mez. He like shows me his disc and goes slow mez and he walks off. And so you can still find that. I'm pretty sure it's 2017 out of wild. If it, Greg Barsby's on the card, you'll know to, to find it. And I just loved that moment. I just like Greg is like, if you know him, he's, he's amazing. He's so funny. And to think that he stopped his train of thought, stopped like everything happening in the middle of a round to tell me where to stand so that I get the angle and then he cans it. Just the whole interaction was great. I I loved like that story. Just like the first time anyone ever told me where to stand for to to get the angle, and and then he just like capitalized on it. It was amazing. He's definitely on our short list of uh of guests that we need to have on the show soon. Absolutely, you're gonna have a a blast with that guy. Yeah. On the flip side, have you ever had anyone look at you after missing a putt and go, "That better not become a nomez." Germ for sure. It's germ. <laughs> yeah, germ, germ. So the whole reason Nomez even started, I don't know how we haven't covered this yet when we talked about Nomez, but the whole reason it even started is because Germ suggested it. He he was on me all all year, 2017, all year. was like, <laughs> dude, whenever these putts spit out or they, they do, you know, like they doink off the top or whatever, you need to call it a Nomez. 
And I was like, it's the same thing as slow mes. I kind of laughed it off, like, ha, that's funny, whatever. And we never did it. Like we had times where we had spit outs and whatever. We just cut them. We never really used them. And I remember the diehard fans would know this before I even say it. The first Nomez was at Utah Open in 2017. And again, I don't always know the round, especially when we're playing the same course. I can never tell the difference between them. But it was on, I think it was on hole nine. Um, Germ is like, is an elevated basket. And Germ is running this putt from like 35, 40 feet, maybe further. But he runs it and he basically... It gets all the way there, and I guess it lifts right at the last second because he thinks it's in. He's like already like like trotting towards the basket, and I guess it lifts and it doinks off the top band, and he like does this thing where he freezes in his tracks and he like pivots on his like heels and just turns the other way, and it was so funny, and I was like, I have to start. That's a nomez. Like that's what a nomez is. Like now now that Germ's been pushing for it so hard, and I didn't really ever know like what i wanted it to be and now i know that it's not just a missed putt it's like it's like you thought it was in and you ended up kind of looking foolish whenever it didn't go in and that's and what better person to to give it to and then the person that really was begging me to to use it for other people and so i just remember oh go ahead go ahead i just remember when it happens the audio like clips when it happens because he's like no mess and he's like yelling in the audio like clips because he was so appalled that it happened to him he's like that's a no mess and he was just like oh. he got his feelings hurt but i was like hey it's you're the reason that it happened and you you're deserving of the first one because the fact that it happened the way it did it was so funny like he just like froze in his tracks when he missed that but it was so good i i was gonna say i don't think i've ever met anyone who does a better incredulous face than jeremy <laughs> Colling, like he's like the king of just like shock and disgust as spit out and oh like my gosh. you know he will he milks those moments so he Absolutely. definitely he was he was born for the nomes oh yeah he's he was asking for it and i gave it to him and he got his feelings hurt but now he's probably like glad that it exists so you know hats off to him for for suggesting it and for really taking one for the team and becoming the first nomes ever yeah absolutely so Jarrett, we put Jonathan. out a call for the the audio fan questions, right? Did how did we do? Did we get any? Uh, we did. We we got quite a few, and uh, it's uh, it's an awesome opportunity for fans to be a part of the show, um, guys. If you want to have your audio question featured on Running It with Nate Sexton, you can go ahead and send those audio submissions to Running It Podcast at Gmail dot com. Uh, but we do have a few for today, and we've got a few of the. Uh, you know, the normal email questions. So Jonathan, if you don't mind, you ready to maybe take a few fan questions? Absolutely. All right. Okay, Jonathan, we've got a ton of fan questions that came in. I won't bombard you with with all of them, but I did pick out a few good ones. Uh, And like I said, we've got a, a few of these new audio questions that are coming in. So let's go ahead and play that first audio question. Hey guys, this is Josh with Daddy Disc Golf. Love the podcast and love everything you're doing, so please keep that up. Today, my question is for Jonathan. Jonathan, back when you filmed your first round in 2012, it was after you just got done playing 2012 and Worlds yourself. My question is, how easy was it for you to kind of switch gears from the player side, wanting to kind of play more and win, to being more of a media personality and more of a supportive role within the disc golf industry? And additionally, any words of encouragement for somebody who's kind of trying to take the leap full-time into the disc golf industry? Well, um, I will say that I think the switch to media was 
while I've obviously really wanted to do it, it was very easy to to drop the the competitive player side because I knew that that was going nowhere. And if you and I wanted a job in disc golf, <laughs> I was gonna have to find a way to make money other than playing like competitively. So it was a pretty easy decision for me. Like the fact that it happened worked out so well because I've I've been playing for I don't even know now. I think I've been a member since two thousand eight, maybe, and I uh, was playing like easily like six to ten tournaments a year for my first few years but i never really did anything outside of like a, a cash a few times in ma1 or something like i knew i wasn't going to be a pro and so while i still love playing disc golf like the competitive side for it of, of the, the competitive side of disc golf for me like it just doesn't really get me like i don't really get a lot of satisfaction out of it anymore if anything it's just like more frustration because i don't have time to practice and then i'm just like all right i'm i need to stick to what i'm i'm good at and let's just like really focus more of my time and energy on on the media side so i would just say like on the on the media side like i've always told people just just be available make yourself available there's plenty of people in your local area that would love like an in the bag or there's an a b c tier in your area that would love to have some coverage and you're not going to get paid for it at first but you're just going to be able to show up and show like what you can do and then if you just keep working at it and making yourself available like before long like people will see value in it and you'll be able to find sponsors or charge the you know tournaments for it or making the bags for local players and it just all it's all got to start somewhere and i've always just told people just make yourself available and and that will go a long ways because there's a huge need for media in disc golf like all these players now have their own vlog you know all their own youtube channels and things like that and there's just like somebody's always looking for a photographer or a or a you know videographer so just show up and maybe get yourself a follow flight mic yeah if you can find yourself a follow flight mic you are going to be doing just fine <laughs> liam asks uh sent this uh into the email um he has a question he'd love to hear mr gomez answer who is more exhausted the day after a big tournament ends you or the players i would say that that's really hard to like pinpoint who would be more exhausted i would say like for the players i'm sure they are like mentally exhausted i mean especially if the round was like really close or you know there was a lot of like the weather like to deal with and things like that i would say mentally like for a player like that's got to be quite a bit like pretty taxing and for us like physically we're, we're we're usually pretty tired my camera alone weighs about 10 pounds the one that me and brian use the, the sony fs7 it's a pretty hefty camera and of course then we're walking and we're carrying around gear and we sometimes have backpacks on which is a little even more weight and we don't really get to sit down like when there's when there's a bench at a at a t-pad you know we're kind of ready to go so we don't get a lot of like downtime like a player might but i would say for a player i mean nate can answer like physically i feel like you guys are usually okay unless you had like some sort of injury but otherwise i would say like mentally like that's got to be more taxing on you guys and for us it's just a more physical thing yeah, that could be. I mean, I think about the times when you guys have pulled the double duty and, and filmed like the women in the morning and the men in the afternoon. And mm -hmm. that's then you guys have got to be winning the tiredness battle. But 
for the player, I think it, you know, a lot of it's going to be about conditions, but obviously you guys are out in those same conditions. So if it's hot, every, everybody's going to have it a little tougher. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's, it's more about like, if I'm in contention or not, if you're not in contention, it's like not that taxing. It's just kind of frustrating, but yeah, when you're up there battling, then it, yeah, absolutely. Then it's like a, a pretty mentally and uh, physically draining thing to just give your all and, and like put all your passion into uh into into those shots and and use all this focus you know that that's more draining than it might seem i think when you when you kind of wake up the next morning yeah we're definitely on the player and the media side we're all leaving it out there so there's no question about that yeah uh a cool question that i thought came in was um obviously you're a fan of disc golf you have been for a long time was there a lead card prior to 2012 that you wish you would have been out there filming I mean, if I if I did, it would have to be like one of the legendary rounds on at USCGC with like Barry and Kenny. Like, look, watching like there's some. I don't even know which years they were. Or like some of the crazy battles went down. Two thousand three. I think it was two thousand three, and I think it was a. I want to say a nine hole sudden yeah. death. Yeah, like that. That one is one that I would say like, I would love to have. You know, if I if there was a way for me to go back and film that and cover that, like. I love watching old USDGC coverage, like old, like the way the layout used to be. Like when you're there, you can kind of still see some of the holes, how they used to be, like especially ones that like literally are just overgrown now because it's like a wetland preserve now. And so some of those holes, it's so cool to see them. I'm just like, man, I wish I could just be here for that, like just to see how that went down because Winthrop is always going to have a special place in my heart. The first time UC called me up, in 2015 and me and michael got to go be on their crew to to cover that i it was just like i couldn't believe it like i couldn't believe that i was able to go there and stand there and be there on on the on the grounds like there's just something so special about that place that that uh yeah i i love covering it and i would definitely go back and cover some of the old usdgc of you know like the early 2000s and just be there to to do that like watch those battles yeah, I could, uh, I could only imagine, uh, and I wish, you know, I, I dig through the internet, and you can come up with some some of the older rounds and, and some of the older stuff, but I just wish there was more of it. Uh, we have a, another audio question here from Ben Winquist. Uh, this came to us through the email. Jonathan, what inspired you to start Jomez Pro, and what innovative ideas are you bringing to the Disc Golf Media community for 2021? Well, my inspiration for starting Jomez Pro, as most people know, is just my passion for disc golf. And it just happened to coincide with my passion for video that those basically existed separate from each other for quite a while. And then I was just lightning kind of struck and I was able to find find a way to, to combine the two, combine my two passions. And I think a lot of people would appreciate, you know, an opportunity to do something like that. And uh, yeah, I just took it and, and ran with it. And of course... I couldn't have done it without the the team that I've been able to build over the years of just some really good friends and really talented people. And so that's just been my inspiration. And, and those people continue to inspire me to, to, to keep getting better and, and just keep growing the team because I know we're capable of so much. And, and that leading into 2021, we, we, we look forward to just continuing this, the same type of coverage as far as, as far as like on the course, 
and continuing that consistency that people and reliability that people expect from us on the quick turnarounds and the the amazing commentary with Nate and Jerem and Yuli. We're definitely looking to do more practice rounds. People people really loved those, and I know Nate is just itching to get on there with Yuli and Jerem and finally dethrone Jerem as the the practice <laughs> round prince. And yeah, finally, man. the king will have will have finally joined us, and I'm really really looking forward to that. So we're committing <laughs> to doing a lot more practice rounds. I just I cannot believe some of the things that have been born out of that, as people know the gazelle and and many other things. And those rounds are just like. I think we finally might have found a way to reach an audience outside of like the hardcore dedicated disc golf audience because people are really gravitating towards something that is like less disc golf and just more personalities. Yeah. And, and we don't get to do that in coverage. Like the personalities are definitely there in the commentary during the coverage, but they can only dwell on a on a little joke or a little aside for so long before they have to basically keep up with the, with the coverage. And the good thing about these other practice rounds is just like, it's more talk and it's like trash talk and the play isn't even really that great, but that's okay because that's really not what it's about. And you get people that are watching it now, like with their girlfriends or their, or their friends that, that don't really play and they're like into it. So I, we definitely, our goal has always been to get more people to watch and to find something that, that appeals, you know, that appeals to everyone in, you know, different types of content. And these practice rounds is something that we're definitely going to commit more resources to and do more of because we feel like we can do the coverage for the diehards. And I know the diehards are watching practice rounds too, but I think they can get other people interested in like what these guys are doing aside from just kind of ragging on each other. So we definitely want to do more of those. Uh, that's, that's one thing I'm most excited about in 2021. So. I think one of my favorite parts of this podcast since Nate and I have been doing it was when we had Yuli on and he was talking about the practice rounds and you could actually hear it in his voice. He said, let me tell you about those practice rounds. Germ is coming hard in those, in those practice rounds. I mean, he's, he's going for it. So uh, I'm excited to, to see Nate get thrown into the mix there as well. And again, like you said, I know Nate's been, been chomping at the bit to, to get in there and join in. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be so fun. Yeah, we had a we had a little taste of it with the dice round, the disc dice round, and we have part two coming up. Uh, that'll be coming out pretty soon. And I know Nate was like, "Well, the play wasn't really very good on that one." I was like, "That the good thing is that that's not the most important part of those rounds. It's the fact that you guys are mic'd up and giving each other a hard time." <laughs> and even in part two, spoiler alert: Coraline is there, Nate's daughter, and is talking trash to germ too and it's amazing so i cannot wait for everyone to watch that it's definitely going to be out on our patreon first and you'll see when that is available but yeah i i just love this type of format where the guys are mic'd up and they're just having a great time all while playing like a casual on a disc golf it's it's great could you imagine if 15 or 20 years ago somebody told you that hey, you're going to be one of the biggest names in the history of disc golf media and a gazelle is going to shut down your website. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't I would know what to do with any of that information, especially the second part. And yeah, just I want to address that really quickly. It was crazy. The gazelle, we, re we released it the morning after Shomez uh, this last Thursday. On Friday morning, we released the gazelle. And... We only had 600 discs, which isn't even a big release anyways, and it just it shut down the website harder than it ever has before. We've definitely had this happen before, but 
Juan told me it was our we we released it to Patreon and our email subscribers first just to kind of slow down traffic. But at this point now, the email list has gotten so big that it doesn't really do what it was supposed to, what it was designed to do, which is awesome. We love that that many people are on there. So we just have to we're gonna have to address that like the issue on the on the server side. But anyways, he said it was the most open email ever. So we're talking like I don't even know how many people clicked on that email that morning. And immediately went to the website. So there's like a thousand plus people on the website at once just crashing the thing. And they wouldn't get off the website. And so the entire day, there was consistently at least a hundred people on that website trying to refresh those pages and get those gazelles. And I'm not kidding, the entire day. Like we finally basically had to shut it down at like 8 p.m. that night. So for almost 12 hours, we had people refreshing the page the entire day and like that's how bad people wanted those discs because yuli couldn't think about like didn't know what a toucan was like it's amazing (laughs) and we have the best fans like i've seen people complain about websites shutting down and even inside of disc golf but obviously other things too and they get really like worked up about it but we addressed it juan did a great job of telling people exactly what was going down and kind of making a joke about it he's so great at that and people were just all about it they were just like hey no worries like yeah it kind of sucks but now now we know that the gazelle is powerful enough to shut down the website and so we have the best fans and supporters like they didn't for the most part you know of course some people got upset but like for the most part people were just like they were, were okay with it. They knew that like it was kind of their fault that it was happening and like they, you know, they were cool about it and there was, we were still able to sell out of them by the end of the night. Like once the website finally started working again and, and they were still in, everyone that I hope wanted one was still able to and we were, we were stocking those too because we realized now that 600 isn't nearly enough discs, I guess, for a disc with a picture of a fake animal on it called a gazellus ulibaris. Yeah, uh, a one-legged sheep thing with wings, obviously. Yeah, of course. Got it. Uh, yeah. U- Yuli's amazing. I, I can't even imagine that that was going to happen, and now I can't wait to see what happens in the practice rounds to come. Well, I think uh, I think we got a ton of information out of you today, and I, I think we kind of just barely scratched the surface, but we're not going to take any more of your time tonight, Jonathan, and uh, I just want to tell you that I'm a huge fan. I, I love everything that's going on over at Jomez. Uh, just in case any of these disc golf listeners that are running it have been living under a rock, where can they find Jomez, uh, YouTube, websites, uh, social medias? Yeah, so jomazpro.com is our website that is usually functioning when we're not trying to release more gazelles. And other than that, we've got the YouTube channel. We're very proud of the growth we've seen there. Jomez Pro on YouTube. Um, what else? We got you know Twitter, Instagram, all kinds of good stuff going on there. And uh, most importantly, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash jomazpro. Like we we can't, could not do what we do without the support we get from from the patrons like especially with showmez and things like that things that we do that don't have any sort of sponsorship it's all sponsored by the fans and i love it that way like honestly like if i could if i could kind of scale back on some sponsorships i know it sounds crazy but and and have patreon be the the main one like i would be totally fine with that because i love like that we can answer directly to the fans and they can give us their comments and feedback directly in a way that no other media people in any times before like the last 10 years or less have been able to do like that instant feedback. I love it. I love being able to engage with the fans that way and and give them exactly what they want. So Patreon is 
a huge, a huge help. And so shout out to all those people, the Slimmest Squad, the Fall of Flight fam, and the Founders Club. We, we couldn't do it without them. I think I'm a follow flight fam. Get in there and join me. Who, if you're listening to this show, you it's it's pretty nice being in the fam. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, we're still on Nate Sexton's Patreon too. I I I think that one's still active, right? It's gone dark. I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> I haven't posted anything on there in a long time. But maybe maybe we'll revive it one of these days. I don't know. I kind of felt like it was a. I felt like I was double dipping because I made it for commentary, and then once you guys got big enough to start paying me, then it didn't really make sense for me to also be charging the fans because it's just the same people. <laughs> hey, uh, you could so, always have the in between stuff. You know, all the goofy yeah. stuff that happens between you and Jerm before we hit record. That could be what goes on the Nate Sexton. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, man. I just I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I also just want to you know I kind of said some of this to Ian as well when we had him on, but I just think you know, the game and the fans and the players just owe a, owe a big debt to you guys who made these sacrifices and quit your jobs to come out and film disc golf. And I just think when it's all said and done and you hang the cameras up, you know, Jomez pro is going to be a huge, like a, a, a giant figure in the history of disc golf and, and in the growth of the game. And I just want to thank you for all you've done to work to make that happen and the whole team and the opportunities you've given me and a lot of other players. I really appreciate that, Nate. I, it's it's been quite a ride. I we have an amazing crew, and that definitely includes you and your commitment to to like I said, being a player commentator. There's at some point we need to do like a little behind the scenes of what that actually means, because there's only a handful of people out on tour that do it, and uh, you're definitely up there as the best. And I really appreciate the time that you've committed to us, because like you said before. There was times where we weren't able to really pay very much and we were definitely working towards like making that like a more of a, a standard wage that someone might get for, for, for their, their voice talents. And so we appreciate you being along, along for that and agreeing to all the late nights and early mornings and, and not complaining as much as, as your counterpart <laughs> and, uh, and showmez and all that. So I, I, we really could not, we wouldn't have the brand that we have today without you know, what you did for Big Sexy and Shomez and what we look forward to doing here in 2021. So really appreciate that. Yeah, let's keep doing it. And for sure, we need a behind the scenes because there is so much less weed than people think. <laughs> They're going to be disappointed, I think, at just how little <laughs> weed there is. <laughs> Zero is, a, is not much. <laughs> Well, Jonathan, thank you so much. And uh, again, the best of luck to uh, Jomez. And Shomez is going to continue to be on Thursday nights. Yes, we just started season two. We changed up the format. I felt like it went really well. There was a huge, a huge showing on just the very first one. It hadn't we hadn't been on in a long time. So yeah, every Thursday for probably the next three or four more weeks before the season gets going, then we might have to restructure. But yeah, Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific on Jomez Pro on YouTube. Look forward to it. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, guys. See ya. Wow. Once again, Nate, you did not disappoint with this week's guest, Jonathan Gomez. Really an impressive story from a guy that just built an, an awesome media empire, basically, in the disc golf world. Yeah, absolutely. It's just crazy how fast it's all moved. And I, I just can't wait to see where it goes next because they're always impressing me every every season we come back and it's just a whole nother level. Now, Nate, if I can follow up on one thing from the conversation that you and Jonathan had was 
are you telling me that UDisc isn't just like the scorecard on my phone? It does other stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, it does a lot of other stuff, man. It's a, they've got everything, you know, all the stats for all these tournaments and you can see all the percentages for all the players. They even have cool stuff like behind the more tab in the app. You can even get like putting practice, um, like a drill that will like keep your score and you can compare it on global leaderboards and you can do all kinds of stuff. You can even find where disc golf stores are. Wow. That's awesome. Now you and I were chatting with Steve over at UDisc, and he had mentioned to us actually that there's a new tool that's going to be coming to the app and it's going to be available next week. And it's supposed to be something big and he wouldn't even tell us what it is, but uh, make sure you guys are downloading UDisc. Uh, you can find them right in your app store. And uh, I think I'm just as excited as anyone else to find out what this new tool is going to be. For sure. Now, Nate, every single episode, well, I guess we skipped a few episodes, but people really enjoyed the disc breakdown and we brought it back last week and we're going to continue with it this week because again, people seem to really enjoy it. Nate, what disc are you pulling out of your bag and breaking down for the listeners this week? Well, this one's in honor of our guest, Jonathan Gomez, because he and I are both big fans of the Innova Excalibur and this is a distance driver. I use it primarily for maximum distance forehands. I generally use star plastic. When I'm done beating one up after the end of the season, I'll often hand it off to Jomez and he goes and plays with it. So he's a, he's always looking for them as well. And he really likes them. I tend to like it because I feel like it kind of stays in its lane a little bit more than my destroyers do for that power forehand, if that makes sense. It takes a little bit less lateral movement. It's overstable, but the ones that I look for aren't necessarily like crazy overstable. I can use it into a headwind and trust it, but I can still get considerable distance with it. Again, it's going to be really comfortable in my hand. Every disc that I personally like, you can say that about. So I really like the feel of it and the performance. So at a course like Winthrop Gold, like we talked about, the really special venue where the United States championship is held. If you see any of the video of me playing there, it's so many X cows for me because it's about power and have and control. So I can get it out there a long way, but still trust that fade, trust the skip and, uh, and use it to get as low a score as possible. So star X cow, one of my workhorse drivers that I really like. Yeah, they're awesome discs. Now, Nate, I don't know how much advice I can give you uh, when you're in Las Vegas and tossing that Excalibur, but what I can absolutely give you advice on is, is don't stay at the Excalibur when you're in Las Vegas. Trust me. <laughs> All right, I'll keep that in mind. All right, perfect. Well, guys, we thank you so much for joining us again uh, on another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. If you have a business or upcoming event that you'd like to have featured on the show, go ahead and shoot us an email at runningitpodcast at gmail.com. We can be found on Facebook at Running It with Nate Sexton. On Instagram, he is at Frisbee Nate. I am at Jaredor222. The show is at Running It with Nate Sexton. We want to thank again our sponsor for this episode, Fisher Disc Golf, and a huge thank you to the guys over at UDisc. Again, you can find UDisc in your apps on your phone. Go ahead and download them and just be able to keep up on a bunch of cool stats and things that they have going on in there. Uh, until next time, Nate, while everyone else is out there, just kind of laying them up. We, we got to keep running it. It's the only way we can do it. We'll talk to you guys next week.